Good morning. I want to do what, the obligatory thing, the thing I always do when it's raining. Take a second. Hear the rain on the roof? I love that sound. Just So just take a breath. Relax. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is John. Uh, we're doing a series in Galatians, so if you have your Bibles and you want to go ahead and get there, you can. It's such a good day, and I'm telling you, the scripture that we're going to read today and teach today is... Here, here was my thought as I was preparing this week for the message. Uh, I spent a se- several times, I wanted to make sure that I got, you know, certain wordings exactly right and everything. And so I went through the message a couple of times this week, just on my own, like in my office and then at the counter in the kitchen. And every single time that I went through and read the scripture, I broke down. I'm going to, I'm already here. I'm bawling like a baby, Okay. Because this is one of the most foundational and beautiful scriptures you will ever hear in your entire life. And I'm telling you, the message that we are going to learn today from the scripture, we could preach it every single week. And I pray we would never get sick of it. And we could preach it every single week and it would be everything that we need in our life to honor God. And so... Open your ears and open your eyes. So this is not anything that I have to say today. This is what the scripture is going to teach us. Paul, in the leadership of the Spirit, wrote this down as he was, as he was trying to encourage the believers and the, Christ, the churches in Galatia. He wanted them to have a strong foundation for their faith. A solid, rock-solid foundation for their faith. And they needed it because it was a very confusing time. It was like an awkward time almost like adolescence for the church or, or something. You know, you, know those, you know that time or those years where you're trying to sort of figure out who you are and what kind of person you're going to be and how you're going to live your life and you're in that development phase and things are changing quickly and you're trying to figure it all out and understand what it means. The church finds itself in that kind of position it, it early on. And we have to put that mentality on as we're reading through the scriptures that what you have are in the church are Jewish believers who have lived their entire life based on the law. Their entire life, everything they know about God, everything they know about their relationship with him is based on this system. These sacrifices and feasts and festivals and dietary restrictions and the Sabbath day they have to keep holy and tithing and all these things that they have to do according to the law. And all of a sudden, Jesus steps on the scene. Jesus dies on the cross, rises again, fulfills the law And now you have all these Jewish believers who are now under grace and no longer under the law, but they have no idea how to live like that. They've lived their entire life this other way, and now everything has changed. And on top of that, now we are welcoming Gentiles or non-Jews into the church who have never lived by the law. So what are we supposed to do with them? Are they supposed to go back and do all of this stuff that we've been doing for so long? How does this all work? It's very awkward. And they're trying to figure it out, and there are lots of different competing ideas. And so that's a lot of the reason that Paul, the primary reason that Paul writes the book of Galatians, letter to these churches in this area, because they've been fooled into thinking they have to go back under the power of the law or the leadership of the law. So it's an awkward time. I was thinking about that this week um, because I happened, I was on Netflix and I saw that there was a new documentary about the American Gladiators which is one of my favorite shows of all time. I love the Gladiators. I grew up watching the Gladiators. Those were my heroes, Titan and Laser. And like, those were my, they were like, you know, they were, they were like Gladiators, you know? And, uh, and I just thought they were the best. They were, they were superheroes to me. And by the way, I watched the documentary. They are not superheroes. <laughs> In case you didn't already know that, but I'm not saying I can recommend the documentary. But what he, here's what I thought was interesting. 
Uh, in the first season, when they did like a pilot half season of American Gladiators, there were no other shows out there like this. There had never been a show like this. They didn't know how to make it. They didn't know that the closest thing that they had was professional wrestling. Okay? So in the first half season of American Gladiators, all the gladiators, they've got weird costumes on to begin with, and they're like, they're playing roles, personas, you know, and they're not very good at it. And so they're doing this awkward banter where they're trying to play this character that they're not very good at. And they didn't even have judges. Like they, you know how they have a referee in American Gladiators, you know, awarding points or whatever. They didn't have that. They had an executioner, all right, a guy in a black hood with the holes cut out and, and all black and would determine whether there were fouls and stuff. It was weird. It was super weird. But it's because they were trying to figure out what in the world a show like this looked like. What, what would work and what wouldn't work. Early on in the church, they've got this whole new idea of grace that they're all trying to wrap their heads around, Jews and Gentiles alike. And they're not sure exactly what this truth is, which, so they need clarity on the truth, the facts. And they're not, sure, they're not sure about how to live it all out and what it's actually supposed to look like. And so that's the confusion that we're dropping into. And there was confusion even among the leaders. Now, as we read through Galatians, Paul has made it clear that he went at least one time privately to Jerusalem and met with the leaders of the church, the pillars of the church, he said, which would include Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, and John. And they had agreed on the gospel. And the gospel is this, and it's very simple, that we are justified before God or saved before God eternally, not by works of the law, but by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So we put our faith in Jesus for salvation. We trust him for salvation. We receive the grace of God. He does all of the work. We receive the grace of God, and that's it, not by works of the law. And so they had all agreed on that because there was confusion. They'd all agreed on it. But then apparently Peter had gone out, and even though he said that with his mouth, was being a hypocrite with his actions because he was eating with Gentiles. But then when Jews would show up, Peter changed his tune and then he wouldn't. And he would go essentially put himself back under the law. And Paul found out about this. So when Peter finally shows up in Antioch where Paul is, Paul opposes Peter to his face. I mean, and, and it's not private, by the way. It's public. It's in front of Peter. It's in front of these Jews that are causing the problem. It's in front of Barnabas, who Peter has brought into this whole thing. And he's duped Barnabas as well. And so it's in front of all of them. And Jeremy talked about that conflict last week. All right, Jeremy set, set up that conflict last week when he preached. Um, this week we are still in the middle of that, and he's, uh, uh, Paul is going to put a period on the end of this sentence. Um, it's in Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to be getting into verse 17 today. And as you're getting there, Galatians 2, 17, this is no small thing to Paul. Okay? There are some things that we can, we, can, we can disagree on, and that's okay. But for Paul, this is a hill that Paul is willing to die on. I can appreciate that as a parent because any of you that are parents, you know that you got to pick your battles with your kids. There are some battles worth fighting and there are some things that we have to let slide and we got to choose wisely in those things. But this is one of the things where Paul says this is, this is so foundational to what we believe and how we behave that we have to have this right. This is, a, this is a hill he is willing to die on. And so I want you to hear how very important this is, not only for them, but for us as well, we have to understand this truth, these facts, all right? And this, let me tell you what he's just said before we get into verse 17. He just said that we might be justified by faith in Christ 
and not by the works of the law. Can't get any clearer than that. We are justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. The reality is we can't keep the law well enough in order to be justified before God. So we have to have Jesus because we can't possibly do it on our own. That was one of the roles of the law, by the way. And I want to share with you two key roles of the law today before we get in, because I know the law was a lot more familiar to people in the first century in Judea than it is today. But there were two key purposes that I want to point out from the law, not the only purposes, but the two I want to point out. One was to teach God's people, his children, about who he was. So the law taught the nation of Israel about who he was, what was important, what he valued, what God's character was, and what he expected of them. And so we can look at the law and we can learn a ton. We can learn so much from the law. We can look at things like the Sabbath day and understand that God wants us to rest and to worship and to set time aside for him. We can look at principles like tithing and we can say, obviously, it's important to God that we take care of the church and we take care of the the orphans and widows and those in need in our community. It's important to him that generosity is at the top of our heart. It's important to him that we sacrifice. It's important to him that we remember what he's done. It's important all of these things that we see in the law, we learn from, and they taught the nation about him. That's, that's the first purpose. And the second purpose, very importantly, is that the law stood to show people that they couldn't possibly keep it. The law was a mirror to their own sin. It wasn't a ladder to climb to God. It was a mirror, and it showed them that they couldn't possibly be good enough to be justified before God. And so it's impossible for us to be justified by works of the law, only through Christ who kept the law and fulfilled the law. All right? So he's making this point, all right? We might be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. And then in verse 17, he brings up what I believe is an objection to his. He's going to defeat an objection to this mentality. Uh, Verse 17, but if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, so that would be while we stand in grace or we recognize that it's by faith in Christ and not works of the law. If, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. Now, the, the, the criticism that I think he's shooting down here is one that most people, it's, it's the biggest criticism of a gospel of grace, of a non-works-based gospel. The biggest criticism is, if salvation is by faith in Jesus, by the grace of God, and not works, and our works not only don't justify us before God, but our works also don't keep us justified before God, then couldn't someone put their faith in Christ and then just go and sin the rest of their life? Theoretically, yes. And if somebody put their faith in Christ for salvation and then went about their entire life and sinned, wouldn't Jesus be somehow complicit in that sin? I I mean, isn't isn't he allowing it? Isn't he condoning it? Isn't he creating the environment in which they have the freedom to go and to do that? Isn't it in some way his fault? Is he a minister of sin? What's Paul's answer to that? No, dummy. 
No, <laughs> that's, that's not it, certainly not. Uh, almost every translation I read of the Bible translates that certainly not a little bit differently with its own sort of flair. But like, no, certainly not. No way, far from it. <laughs> One loose translation said, God forbid. <laughs> no, it's not, Je- Jesus wasn't responsible for your sin to begin with and he's <laughs> before salvation. He's not responsible for your sin after salvation either. No, of course he's not responsible for that. They have a misunderstanding of what the gospel is. You see, what they're used to and what we are used to are legal systems. Our laws and punishments. It's what makes sense to us. We talk about this all the time. We live in legal systems almost exclusively. It's what we're used to. We have a legal system at school, right? My wife is a vice principal. She is the administrator of the legal system of Irwin Middle School, or one of them, right? There's rules, and there's punishments, and there's consequences. How do we keep people's behavior in line? With rules and consequences. That's how we do it. You, at work, in your job, you have a legal system at your job. You have expectations. If you meet them, you're rewarded. If you don't meet them, you're punished for that. We live in a legal system in our society. How do you manage people's behavior? You have police officers and rules and judges and lawyers and attorneys and a code and and all of these things that we all have to follow to keep us all in line. It's what we're used to. It's what has to manage and control the sin that's within us to keep it all in line. That's what we're used to. And so here's the problem. Here's here's the the challenge to the, the idea of a gospel of grace. If we remove the law and we say the law no longer has authority over people, over Christians, won't they just go and sin as much as they can? Isn't that the way? Isn't that the way that the human heart works? Imagine for a second that in the United States of America, all of a sudden, somehow, through some I don't know, loophole in the Constitution, they said, you know what? We're going to remove all the laws. No laws anymore. We're not going to police it. We're not going to arrest people. We're not going to impose fines or consequences or jail time. We're just going to let every, we're going to let it all go. What would happen? It's the purge every day. (laughs) Some people have an internal moral compass, right? And I hope most people have have an internal moral compass that would keep them on the rails, right? But there would be a lot of people that would just see that as a free-for-all. Within a legal system, what we tend to do anyway is we tend to try to figure out how much we can sin or how much we can get away with without getting in trouble. How much can I do without, how fast can I drive without actually getting pulled over? Everybody's got a different theory on that. It's four miles an hour, by the way. You know, the the speed, I don't think anybody, you know, in a 55, I don't think you're ever going to get pulled over 59 unless the cop's having a bad day, you know, or whatever. So, so like, yeah, we're always trying to figure out where we can go. You lift all those rules, it's going to be chaos. And that's what people's thought is about grace within the church. If you say that we're no longer under the law, then won't that be chaos within the church? And isn't Jesus then responsible for that chaos? Well, let me put it this way, and Paul's going to, Paul's going to get to this. If he removed the, if he removed the law and put us under grace, And then made no change in our life or heart at all. If nothing changed with us. If we continued to live and walk in sin and walk in the flesh, then yeah, that would be chaos. 
but he's done something vital for us, something transformative for us. So is that a concern? I mean, logically, I guess that's a concern. Based on our belief or our experience of people, that's a concern. But what God has planned for us is so much better and bigger than those concerns. My, my response to that is always a couple of things. We say, well, if, 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 you just, if you removed the law, wouldn't everybody just go and sin all they want? First of all, why are you so concerned about what other people will do with the truth? Be concerned about what you do with the truth. And the second thing, and if I've said this once, I've said it a hundred times. If you've been around here, you've heard me say this. The truth is not determined by what people do with it. So the truth is the truth. The facts are the facts. And how people respond to that is up to them. But the truth is the truth. And the truth is salvation is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and not works of any kind. And you cannot earn that by works of the law, nor can you keep that by works of the law either, by the way. It is kept, it is held, it is secured by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. Now, within that, you and I have a choice. We have a choice on how we're going to live our life. You have freedom and I have freedom if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, how are you going to use that freedom? Are you going to use that freedom for the flesh and for your own desires and getting all the things that you want? Or are you going to use that freedom for the glory of God? That is up to you. And that is up to me. And when I can't police that in your life. And nobody else can police that in your life. That's up to you. It's your choice. All right. Now, uh, verse 18. He says, for if I build again those things which I destroyed, which is to, to say he, he died to the law. So if he goes back under the law, and this, by the way, is what he's accusing Peter of doing and, drag, and these other Jews of doing and dragging Barnabas into as well. If I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. That, that's different than the word he used earlier, sinners. This word transgressor means lawbreaker literally lawbreaker. He said, so if I go back and I rebuild the law in my life, I've been saved by grace, but if I go back and I rebuild the law in my life, am I not just putting myself back under what has, what is gone? All I'm doing is going back and doing the same thing the law did in me originally, which was to show me that I'm a lawbreaker. But I already know that. I don't need to go back under the law. Having been justified by grace, if I go back and I build my life under the law, I'm just going to beat my head against the wall and continue to reiterate my moral ineptitude. What good is that? I will live as a habitual lawbreaker. But no, verse 19. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. Living under the law, is that's death. And he says, this is a new reality. It's a new mentality. It's a new environment. I am now living to God. And that is fundamentally different. He already died under the law. The law already did its job. It killed in Paul the arrogance to think that he could fulfill it, the law. And now instead of living in that death, he is going to live in the life that Christ has given him, the one who did fulfill the law. And he's going to walk in grace. This is a fundamental shift in the way we look at our relationship with God. And you can look at your relationship with God, and I can look at my relationship with God as fulfilling a law or trying to live up to a law. Or we can look at our relationship with God 
as living in grace. And those two things are so incredibly different in the way that we look at ourselves and the way we look at God and the way we look at our life and what he asks of us. And we have to get this. And Paul knows that Peter has to get this. And these Jews have to get this. And Barnabas has to get this. Because if they don't, they are just going to go back and they are going to walk in death. The death of legalism. This is new. It's better. It's, it's, it's a new reality. It's not Jewish-ish. This is new. It is based on the law pointed to grace. But grace is here. And they have to shift. That is so hard for us to do. It's hard for us to do across our entire life. When the reality around us shifts, it is so hard for us not to just hold on to the old, the things that we used to do, and step into something new. I think I saw that so clearly when the pandemic, I mean, the the world changed overnight. The world changed overnight. And people and organizations and businesses and companies either recognized what was going on and let go of everything they had done before and looked fresh at it again to start again, or they tried to hang on to those things that worked before and they struggled all the way through. Well, the same thing is happening to the church right now. What are you going to do at this time when we're reading? Are you going to hang on to that legalism? Are you going to hang on to the law? Are you going to step into the new reality, this reality of grace? Some of you were, you may have even been raised in church, but you were raised in legalistic churches where it wasn't about grace and it wasn't about faith. It was about the rules that people had set in place. And if you kept the rules well enough, then you were going to be made right before God. Or if you didn't keep the rules, you were going to lose your faith or you're going to lose your salvation. And then you were going to have to start all over again. Some of you were raised in legalistic law-based environments like that. And you have to let that go and step into a new reality or you'll be shackled to it for the rest of your life. One of, the, one of the reasons I think this is so vitally important, why it's so important for Paul here and why it's so important for us to talk about right now is that even in the church in America, 2,000 years later, with a book like Galatians, we still have Christian teachers out there that are saying that you accept Jesus Christ by faith, but then you keep your salvation by works. That if you, that if you sin enough or if you sin this way or you sin that way, that you could lose your salvation and your justification and your position before God. That's not true. I don't know how you could look at the book of Galatians and believe that. Our justification, our standing before God is secured by the grace of God. His work, not yours. And it is kept by the grace of God, not yours. I'm, I am no more capable of keeping my salvation by my good works than I was of securing it in the first place. If that's the way that it worked, I would have lost my salvation the very day I got it. (laughs) Because I fall short of the glory of God over and over and over and over and over again. And I can't get re-saved enough to overcome the sin that I still have, even prayerfully 20 or 30 years from now when I look a lot more like Jesus than I do right now, I still can't do it then any more than I can do it now. Our salvation is secured and maintained by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. And so here's, here's what drives me crazy about this. And this is why this is so important to me. And it's a hill that Paul die on and it's a hill that I will die on. And you've got to know this. Because when that is taught, when that is, when that is said to believers, it puts a crack in the foundation of their faith. 
that will incapacitate them from doing what God wants them to do and being who God wants them to be. And so we have Christians because people have set up, well, maybe you're not really saved because you're sinning like this or because this is going on in your life or you made them. Maybe you lost your salvation. And I can't understand why someone would say that. Maybe, maybe they misunderstand the scripture or, and I hate to say this, but I think this is the case more than anything else. How do you control people if you don't hold something over their head? And so I think we have, we have leaders that are, that, are, that are putting a crack in the foundation of believers' faith to manipulate them and to try and, to try and get them to do certain things or to change certain things and using their salvation as a carrot on a stick out in front of them to try and get them to do something else. When that is a life of, that's a life of chains and bondage, it gets people absolutely wrapped up in fear and insecurity and inadequacy and shame and, and condemnation that no believer is supposed to sit under because we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have to be able to walk in the confidence of knowing that we stand and walk on that foundation of grace. And that even as we walk through life and as we make mistakes, and we will, you and I will fail. We will fail likely every single day in one way or another and will continue to fall short of the glory of God. But to know that our salvation, our justification, our position in front of God is secure. And the sins that we commit and the mistakes that we make and the areas where we don't look like Christ, what's going to happen to us, that is going to damage our life now, here and here and now. It'll wreak havoc in our lives. God has something better planned for you than to live a life of sin or live a life of the flesh and to walk in that. He doesn't want to see that happen to you. It's not going to change your position with him but it is going to destroy life now. And even in the areas where it may seem like it's making life better for us now, and sometimes it feels like that, it is going to erode our relationship, our communion, our fellowship with God. It's going to make us feel like we're getting pushed further and further away from God. It's going to build fear in us of God that doesn't need to be there, but it's going to do that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to create the, the environment in which shame and condemnation and insecurity and all of those things can seep into those cracks that are created. It's not going to change our position with him, but it is going to erode our relationship with him. And the, the reward that we could have later based on a life of faith that we lived and a life of holiness and looking like Jesus, all that reward and all that later that is waiting for us may not be there because we wasted our life in sin. But it will not it will not take away the foundation of our faith. It will not separate us from the love of God. Uh, Martin Luther, put it this way. Martin Luther's a boss, by the way, if you don't know that. I don't, I don't agree with everything that he taught, but in some things. He, he, he had the, the boldness to stand up. Not just him, by the way, but many others had the boldness to stand up against the Catholic Church and say, this system of legalism, this system that you put together, that's why uh, Paul, or, uh, Martin Luther said that he was married to this epistle to the Galatians. That's the word he used. He said this, this system of legalism and rules and people essentially buying and earning their salvation, this is wrong and we're not going to do this anymore. And, and he, said, he said this. This is the, the difference between walking in the flesh, walking in the spirit, and knowing the solid foundation that we have even as we sin. This is what he said. And now this is kind of a loose translation into English. He wrote it in German, but I like it. Um, Blessed is the person 
who knows how to use this truth in times of distress. He can talk. He can say, Mr. Law, go ahead and accuse me as much as you like. I know I've committed many sins, and I continue to sin daily. But that doesn't bother me. You've got to shout louder, Mr. Law. I'm deaf, you know. Talk as much as you like. I'm dead to you. If you want to talk to me about my sins, go and talk to my flesh. Belabor that, but don't talk to my conscience. My conscience is a lady and a queen. It has nothing to do with the likes of you. Because my conscience lives to Christ under a new law, a new and better law, the law of grace. Say, my foundation is secure. You want to talk about sin? Talk about sin. You talk to my flesh. I struggle with that every single day. But don't talk to me about the foundation that I stand on. You can't touch that. This is what, this is what Paul says in verse 20. Prepare yourself for this. This is so beautiful. He said, no, 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 no. All that. I died to the law, and I'm going to live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The law never loved me or gave itself for me. Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. And I have been crucified with him. And Paul also says elsewhere, I have been buried with him. And I have been raised with him. That I have participated in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah, you know what? If you remove the requirements of the law and you say I'm no longer under the law and it's still me that's living, yeah, sin. That's what's going to abound. But it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I'm not walking in holiness. Yes, I'm walking in holiness. But I'm not walking in holiness because the law tells me I have to. I'm walking in holiness because Jesus Christ loved me and gave himself for me. I'm serving God with my entire life, but I'm not serving God with my life because I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I don't. I'm serving God with my life because Jesus Christ loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not choosing to worship God with everything that I have. Because he requires it of me. I'm choosing to worship God with everything that I have because Jesus Christ loved me and he gave himself for me. This is the fundamental shift from legalism to grace. It's not permission to sin because we don't want to sin anymore. We have to commit ourselves to holiness, to service, and to sacrifice. That's a choice that we have to make. But we have the freedom to make that choice. 
And the level to which we feel connected with God as we walk in this freedom, the level to which we are rewarded for what we do as a, in this freedom, the level to which our lives reflect the glory of God is up to how closely we walk with him in the freedom that we have. And so if we're looking for what we can get away with, if we're looking for opportunities to sin, then we've stepped down the wrong path. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. It's no longer you who live, but he who lives in you. In the life that we live, we do not live according to the law or a list of rules. We live by faith in the Son of God because he loved us and he gave himself for us. Verse 21, Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God, which is what he's accusing. This is what Peter and Barnabas and these other Jews have done. I do not set aside the grace of God to go back. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If we could be justified before God by keeping all the rules, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. That's just the way it would work. But because we can't, Christ gave himself for us. We need this foundation as believers. We need this foundation like the air that we breathe. We need this every single day. As we look at our life and we look at decisions, we look at what's happening and we're trying to make the decision. We have to make the decision on whether we're going to walk in the grace that we've been given. Whether we're going to walk in flesh in the sin and in sin. Or whether we're going to put ourselves back under a legalistic system to try and manage it. We need this every single day. Paul shares all of this with these, these men. And it's a pivotal moment in the history of the church. Because he lays all this down, and with what we just read, he drops the mic. And thankfully, they got it. They got it. And they ran with it. Shortly thereafter, this whole, um, this whole battle is still going between people who say you have to go back under the law and the people like Paul that are saying that you can walk in grace. It, it comes to such a head that they finally say, we got to take this to Jerusalem. We have to have a big, they call it the Jerusalem Council. We have to go back for the Jerusalem Council. Someone's got to make a decision. Really, James, who's the leader of the church and considered the leader of everything, he's got he's to put his foot down about this. And so they all go back to Jerusalem um, it's in 50 AD, and they go back to Jerusalem, and there's this big, this big, you know, melee. And who is it that steps up? Not Paul. Peter. The one that Paul, just depending on your timeline, maybe a couple of years earlier, the one that Paul had to take to the woodshed over this issue. Peter's the one. So look at this. It's in Acts chapter 15. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. 
So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? So what's he saying? He is standing up in front of all of them and he's saying, we have seen and witnessed and know that the gospel is through faith and not works of the law. And we've seen that happen not only in Jews, but also in Gentiles. So why would you take these Gentiles and put on the law back on them a yoke that neither you or I were able to bear? He says, no, we are not going to do that. Which is a bold statement from the guy who was just accused of being hypocritical on this point not long ago. But he listened to what Paul said and knew that it was the truth. It was the facts. And he would build his faith on it. So what happens, he said, verse 11, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. That's it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, verse 12, Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Saul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So Peter stands up and says, No, this is the truth. And that paves the way for Barnabas and Saul to get up and share what God had done among the Gentiles. And then after this, and you can read this on your own, but after this, James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, gets up and says, no, salvation is by faith and we will not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are coming to faith. Because salvation is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus and not works of any kind. And this is a hill worth dying on. And you might say, well, okay, I, if, even if I understand that truth, what difference does it make? It makes all the difference in the world. When you decide how you're going to prioritize your life, how you're going to spend your time, where you're going to invest your energy, and you know, you know, you know that you are justified before God in Jesus Christ, but you, as you look at your calendar, you have a choice you have a choice on whether what you do is going to bring honor and glory to God or not. And you don't have to sit under fear. You don't have to sit under condemnation. You don't have to sit under any of that as you're making those choices. But in your freedom, you're saying, I want to choose the things that I believe are going to bring the most glory to God. And you're sitting and you're looking at your, your future and you're making decisions. You're making decisions about what school to go to, what job to take, if you're going to move, or any of those kinds of things. To know that you are secure in Christ. That no matter what decision you make, that, that isn't going to be taken away from you. But that you, in the freedom that you have, want to do the thing that is going to bring God the most honor and glory. Not because you have to, not because he's going to punish you if you make the wrong choice, but because you want to bring him honor and glory. That changes the whole game. It changes your whole mentality. When you fail, when you sin, and I pray that you won't and that I won't, but we will. When we sin and when we fail, what does that do to my relationship with God? 
do I feel like he's mad at me, that he's punishing me, that he's disqualified me from this or that? Or do I know that I stand in grace and that there is grace for this thing and that I confess my sin? He's already forgiven the sin, but, but hear this. This is a verse that's misunderstood a lot. Confess your sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse is not about my eternal standing with God. It's not about that I need to confess my sin so that I can be saved again. That's about the disruption that exists between me and him. And the guarantee that if I come to God and I confess my sin that's messing up my life and that's disrupting my relationship with him, that if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And to do that, standing on a firm foundation of faith, the truth that I know, this makes all the difference in the world to us as believers. And to know and to put on this mentality every single day that it's not me. It's not me today. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So let's thank God for the foundation that we have in him together, and then we're going to sing together about this foundation in Christ living through us. Father, we thank you so much for your love and the truth that we know, the, the facts that we stand on, that we are saved by your grace through faith alone. And Father, I pray for anyone here that maybe, maybe who has been living their entire life afraid of you, living their entire life worried about whether they measure up or whether they could be good enough to make it to you. That's what the world teaches us. That's what we see all the time. But today, as they stand sit face to face with the reality that that's not possible, that, that we can't possibly earn our way to God, it can't happen. And as, as we face that, the, the hopelessness of our own ability, we recognize that we can be justified before you, not by our own ability, but by Christ's. His gift on the cross as he paid for our sins, as he atoned for sins in a way that the sacrifices of the law never could. Fulfilling the requirements of the law in the cross. being placed in the tomb and overcoming all of that rising on the third day. Our faith is in him, not in ourselves. Our trust is in him, not in our own effort. God, I pray today that someone would accept Jesus by faith, becoming your child. And for all of us together, as we walk and we try to understand and sometimes awkwardness what it means to actually walk in that freedom and to stand on that foundation. 
that we would be able to say in our own life the same thing that Paul says so definitively here. That we have been crucified with Christ. And we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And the life that we live, we don't live by regulations and by rules and by the law. We live by faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who loved us and who gave himself for us. So may it not be us. Jesus, may it be you. In all things, be honor and glory forever. Amen.